welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the power of sisterhood and heteronormativity, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Joining us to discuss this witchy classic is Lily Sparks, author of the Teen Killer series and upcoming book, The Merciless King of Moor High. Hi, Lily. Hello. Hi, very happy to be here. Yeah, welcome back to the podcast. It's a thrill. Happy October. Yes, yeah. spooky season. Um, this is this is a genuine question because uh, I hadn't seen anything about it. Tell me more about The Merciless King of Moor High. That's a really good title. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, that is my <laughs> <laughs> that's my next uh, book coming up in April 2024. Okay, um, and it's, it's kind of a departure uh, from the Teen Killers Club series. It's also uh, YA, but it's about these two schools um, that have kind of gone through an apocalyptic happening where all the adults in town have morphed into these like giant corpse monsters overnight. Oh, no. Um, so the schools have kind of like been isolated and one has like totally barricaded itself and the other one has kind of figured out how to kill these monsters. And then after a year, they kind of cross paths and they have to start sort of working together and figuring out how their two different societies with all these different belief systems can kind of mesh and if they can save the town together. Um, so it's kind of like a neo-feudal apocalyptic fantasy, but like fun. <laughs> Okay. okay. You tell me I'm, where to shelve that. I'm, I'm scared but intrigued. <laughs> it's all right. I'll read it and tell you about it, Renata. Okay, thank you. Yeah, tell me if it's too scary. Uh, cool. Well, uh, yes, welcome back, Lily. And uh, before we get too deep into talking about the book and get distracted, I want to say up front, this is, of course, a book that has an iconic movie adaptation. And we are going to host a online movie watch along on Monday, October 30th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's 7.30 p.m. Central time, 6.30 p.m. in the mountains, 5.30 p.m. Pacific. If you live in another country, figure it out. I don't know. That's what time it is in America. We'll post that online so you can see it. But I wanted to say up front before we get to the end and you've turned the podcast off already Come watch the movie with us on Discord the day before Halloween. It's currently streaming on Hoopla. Not sorry, not Hoopla. Hula. Maybe it's on Hoopla. Hulu. Hulu. It's on the other. It's on the other H word. We got there. Uh, it's on Hulu. Um, you can rent it for money other places, but if you are paying for Hulu already, you can access it that way. You can probably get the DVD at your library pretty easily. You've got time to go pick that up or. Acquire the movie somehow. I don't know. Figure it out. We'll be there on Discord on Monday, October 30th to talk about it. I mean, a couple a couple small content warnings for the book that we're probably not mm. going to get deep into. But it does, if you're unfamiliar with the source material, it does deal with the death of parents. It does kind of obliquely deal with domestic violence and sexual assault. I imagine we're not going to get deep into that the book doesn't even get deep into it but just fyi yeah and death of a boyfriend but who cares yes a, a man who deserved it is is killed <laughs> who deserved it everyone in the whole book agrees Good yes. riddance. <laughs> well i mean is he killed or did he die of natural causes 
I feel like it's kind of choose your own adventure where they're like, if you want to believe that she like really killed him, great. If you want to believe that he met an untimely end, you know, in, in just the right circumstances to make her feel guilty, great. Like you can kind of decide. I don't know. Uh, all right. Well, let's we'll we'll get into it. I'll say uh, I know I've heard of this movie. Obviously, it's a it's a famous movie. I've never seen it. So when when we do <clears throat> the Discord watch along on Monday, October thirtieth at eight thirty p.m. Eastern, that will be my first time seeing this film. So I don't know how it compares yet. I have seen the film. I like the film. It is there is not a ton. It is very, very different from the book. <laughs> <laughs> I I have also seen the film. I saw it years ago, and I don't know if there was a gas leak in my house, but I vividly <laughs> remember Cher being a part of, like, the lime and the coconut scene. So I think I have my wires crossed. This is, like, <laughs> such a gift to me that I constantly forget things I've seen and read so I can enjoy them again for the first time. I'm so blessed. I do want to say I think Cher should have been in this. I have, I mean, I haven't even seen it, but I just think that Cher should be in whatever she wants to be in. Right? Um, yeah. Based, I guess, just on sort of like what I had gleaned from pop culture about the movie and stuff, I was really expecting this book to be more like whimsical and like <laughs> funny. And I, I thought I, I thought this book was okay. I, I do want I know that the movie inspires passionate responses in people, and I'm basing this almost completely on a tag sale where I used to live up in the mountains where someone had hand painted like a four foot tall oil painting of the one sheet, the poster of Practical Magic. Oh. But they had it up for sale. So I don't know if the person who felt so moved to make that painting fell out of love with the book or was taken by magic. I don't I don't know. But <laughs> it, it, people feel passionately about this movie, but when it first came out, it like flopped. And like they had made like they had like built a house in the Pacific Northwest and it had like really big names and like this kiss is on the soundtrack. So they laid out for the the soundtrack for like music licensing. Uh. But the movie just like flopped at the box office. But it's had a second life as being one of like three Halloween movies, right? Like there's not a lot of Halloween movies that don't involve blood spatter, you know, for like, <laughs> yeah. for like cozy family Halloween viewing. So it's like one of three. It's like Hocus Pocus, this movie, and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, basically. It's what everyone <laughs> watches on a loop if you have kids in the house. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, it's the movie. I would say there are parts of it that are more whimsical, but like, spoiler alert, the this this man who was bad to me i killed him maybe or maybe he died we'll never know we need to bury him in the garden is still the main plot line <laughs> i mean you say that but like i also had never seen hocus pocus until like a few years ago and that's a movie about how witches want to murder a virgin yeah <laughs> so that's a fun whimsical family movie so i think this could be more whimsical if it tried yeah, there's definitely like parts of it, like they really play up the magic, I think, a little bit more. Yeah, and... that's another complaint. I'll say I have complaints about this book. Magic is in the title and it's not that magical, frankly. It's not that practical either. It's not that practical. It's not that magical. <laughs> <laughs> it's built on a foundation of lies. <laughs> 
and I, I will say, like, I, I really, like, this kind of, like, urban fantasy, you know, like, real world adjacent fantasy, that's, a, that's my jam, jam, and that's one of my favorite genres, and I, I, because this book was, what, 95, I think, and looked it up, and then I forgot. 95. I was right. Don't doubt yourself, Renata. This book came out in 1995. And I think it may be like a lot of the books that I like that have come out since then maybe are kind of standing on the shoulders of this. Like I have a sense that this was sort of like kind of an important building brick in this genre. But then for me to come back and read it in 2023, I'm like, I don't know. I don't love it. Yeah. I I feel like lyrical, like lyrical prose with like a witchy tone in the 90s it was like the Lorena McKenna of books you know what I mean like <laughs> yes. ha- having just like an edge of witchiness about your like lyrical prose it just put butts in seats and I, it <laughs> definitely was bringing the 90s back to me to the point where like I like I I feel like the 90s is like an autumn decade like the whole 90s okay. is like yeah so you have flannel you have coffee shops you have a huge run on dark lip, a dark lip with like red hair. <laughs> yeah. Chai tea found its moment, you know, like it was, it's very much like nineties was like the autumn of decades. Just putting that out there. Right. I do. That does feel right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and but then we skipped winter. Cause then I feel like the odds is like summer and the yeah. odds is like when you're doing your metallics and you're like shiny, um, but you know what? We're not fashion podcasts. Let's, sorry, I got I got really swept up in this fantasy of the '90s. So I, my Alice Hoffman's one of my mom's favorite writers, and I've never read anything by her before. And my mom and I do not always have the same taste, so I wasn't sure going in how I would feel about it. And I did. I really liked it, which is strange for a couple reasons. One, it's very heteronormative. It's so straight. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is deeply like every every sibling of every generation, except for the aunts, has like the guy that they get with for their happily ever after, including mm-hmm. the teens. Mm-hmm. And that's normally not my kind of jam. I also don't always love fantasy books but i do love like a cozy cottage cory whimsical i mean not whimsical but like magical sort of maybe vibe and i do feel like this book had it and i think the key for me is that this is another reason that it's weird that i like it is because there's like basically no dialogue in this book yeah and normally Mm. i like a witty banter and i think what worked for me is that the the prose is i thought was fantastic i think she's a very good writer it was very evocative to me and i think that if i was thinking about this last night when i was finishing it if these characters if there had been more dialogue if it had been more like in the characters heads if we had gotten more of some of the characters i think i would have liked it less <laughs> I think the fact that there's this kind of the way that the narrative runs and the kind of vibes of it keep keep enough distance between me and the characters who I think under other circumstances I might have found very boring. But because it did add this distance for me there, I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm vibing with this in a way that I wouldn't have if it was a more traditionally written novel. But I did like it. But it's 
It does have kind of like fable vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that omniscient narrator who's always like that's so brilliantly observed, Kate. Like I, I, that hadn't occurred to me how little dialogue there was, but like yeah, she like does this like fairy tale thing where she's telling you what's, you know, what's going to happen to even like tertiary characters 20 years down the road and it just kind of yeah. I that didn't even occur to me. That's- yeah, it's it's much more like she's telling you a story. Mm-hmm. Than it is as if you know it's all written out because yeah and I I it vibed, it vibed with me yeah and the the pacing like to me I was annoyed by the pacing but if if you reframe it and like it's kind of like a fairy tale a fable like you know when you do a fairy tale you're like and then it was several years later and the princess woke up or whatever like there's these like big time jumps or just like you know glossing over like years at a time because that's what needs to mm-hmm. happen. Like it didn't quite work for me, but I understand what why. Yeah. I, I thought this but I also think like maybe I was really expecting to like this book a lot because I usually like this kind of book and I was like, oh, a little treat for me. And then I was kind of like, it's fine. Do we want to get into talking a little bit about an overview of the book and then we can yeah. perhaps collect further thoughts as we go? Please. All right. So uh, the book starts by describing the history of the Owens family, specifically the Owens women who have like lived in this house in this town in Massachusetts for hundreds of years. And all the sort of like witchy weird things that happen in town are blamed on them. But Anytime a woman in town needs help, especially with like a relationship adjacent thing, they come to the Owens women and, you know, ask for help and the it is granted and the things that they do do work. So yeah, like they're little like abortion teas and love spells and whatnot. Yes. <laughs> a little abortion tea. You know. <laughs> Just a sip. Just a sip. And that's my favorite kind of tea party, by the way. <laughs> it's a fundraiser event. <laughs> so the protagonists of the book are Jillian and Sally, who are, when they're young children, their parents die in a house fire and they are sent to Hang live on. with. I got to Here's, here's exactly how our parents died. <laughs> The children, after all, were orphans whose careless parents were so much in love they failed to notice smoke emanating from the walls of the bungalow where they'd gone to enjoy a second honeymoon after leaving the girls home with a babysitter. They are, to quote Beyonce, dangerously in love and they (laughs) die for it. (laughs) So Jillian and Sally are sisters. They go to live with their aunts who are the current residents of the Owens house And their aunts are pretty hands off and they're basically like, we don't have kids, so whatever. And Sally, who is the more anxious, more quote unquote good girl, she takes over like making food for everyone, making sure the laundry is done, making sure they get to school on time and all of these things. Whereas Jillian skates by on her beautiful looks and isn't afraid to like use the rumors about the family to her benefit in order to get what she wants. So, and by the way, it sounds obvious, but just to state outright, Sally is of course the older sister. Yes. And as as an older sister with anxiety, I do feel very Sally coded myself. 
Um, I mean, I think I can't, I, I don't know. Like she outright says, or the narrator outright says that like Sally knew that if she had been with her parents when they were traveling, like she would have noticed the smoke and saved them. And I'm like, this baby girl has like so much anxiety and like get her in therapy and no one is doing shit for Sally. Yes. <laughs> so the ants at one point they go deep into this story of there was a girl who worked at the drugstore who was obsessed with a man and like so in love with him and he wouldn't a married love her back. man a married mm. man so she came to the ants and the sisters watched as the ants you know gave took pity on her and gave her this love spell and it worked and she was so happy but then she came back to the ants and was like but he won't leave his wife for me so they gave her a different spell to use and he left his wife for her and married her but then a few months later she comes back again and is like he won't leave me alone he wants to spend all of his time with me like he always wants to fuck like i never get a moment's peace like you need to make this stop and the answer kind of like She's like, I have internal damage from all the fucking. <laughs> yes. And the ants are like, we, we told you that this could happen. Like, you knew the consequences. <laughs> you did it anyway. Sorry. And so she one day comes back and corners the girls who are in the garden yelling at them about, like, what their ants did to her and blah, 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 blah. So the ants essentially, like, take her voice and she can no longer speak. <laughs> so she's just this miserable woman who is, I mean, she's not miserable because she can't speak, but she is miserable because of these spells that she did to get what she wanted and now also can't speak and hates the ants and all of the Owens women. Yeah, like one time Sally goes to the drugstore later and this woman hands her a note that says, help me. And <laughs> oh, <yeah>. then <laughs> Sally then is like, I'm just going to do DoorDash from now on. Like, yes. I mean, not, it did. you know, obviously it's 95, it's not DoorDash, but she's like, drugstore delivery, please. <laughs> bye. Like, did the ants tell her, though? Were they like, you're going to be walking like a cowboy. This man is going to be knocking down your door. You're going to need hydration. You're going to need lube. You're going to, like, clear your calendar. <laughs> that night class, it's done. That morning <laughs> yoga, cancel it. You are going to be getting worked out. Like, did they tell her? Because she seems shocked. I I think of that, I think, like, Tumblr post that goes around as a meme that's, like, me going into an evil, like, you're in an evil store or whatever, and the storekeeper's like, careful, everything in here has a price. And I'm like, I know how stores work. <laughs> I, I feel like she was like that. Like, they were like, this has a price. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm paying you for this spell. And they're like, okay. <laughs> there will be chafing, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the... Uh, as we said, Sally is the good girl. Uh, Jillian is the bad girl. And Jillian, as soon as she is able to, uh, you know, she dates all sorts of boys. Sally is not interested in that. She is a little afraid of love due to what she has seen happen to the woman who come to her aunts. <laughs> yeah. By the way, um, Duarte is here because he is annoyed that we haven't yet mentioned that the aunts obviously do have a lot of cats, which is great best part of the book obviously i pulled a couple of quotes to summarize the girls yeah that's right dorothy there's so many cats in this book uh jillian broke hearts the way other people broke kindling for firewood jillian like yeah like like kate said like this book has really like evocative like good 
just nice little phrases. And then, meanwhile, the ants try to encourage Sally not to be so good. Goodness, in their opinion, was not a virtue. It's not a virtue, Forte. But merely spinelessness and fear disguised as humility. The ants believe there are more important things to worry about than dust bunnies under the beds or fallen leaves piling up on the porch. I I support I support them all. So while Jillian, you know, gets married right out of school and leaves immediately and is like, I'm never coming back. Sally stays home and she continues to take care of the ants and the house and then meets the man who works at the hardware store, whose name is Michael, and falls like super in love with him and they are super devoted they move into the house with the ants they move into like the upper part of the house and the community loves them and michael is so chill about like all of the women who come to the ants for help and all the witchy things going on at the house uh and then one day they see an omen that the ants see an omen that michael's going to watch beetle yes Mm. In between the marriage and the death watch beetle, they have two children, Antonia and Kylie. <laughs> yes. But the, the ants see the death watch beetle. Jillian do, or Sally does not want to accept that he is going to die. And he does get hit by a car and she like loses it. And as Renata said, she has two children with Michael, uh, Antonia and Kylie. And the ants basically take over care of the two girls because she spends about a year just in, in her in grief. bed grieving yeah. yeah again nobody in this book will get therapy for sally yeah <laughs> so she finally starts to come out of her grief and takes a walk and sees uh her aunts and the kids at the park and sees that the bullying from her generation is continuing with her daughters and she doesn't want that so she decides but to bullying take her- meaning everybody in town is like oh the owens girls are weird and so her kids are being like bullied for specifically for being like weird owens girls yes so she takes her daughters and is like i'm moving away from here and moves away to new york she gets a job working Uh, In the school system in this town, she, you know, settles her girls in. She's having a really good life. Her daughters are growing up in a similar dynamic to her and Jillian, where Antonia and Kylie, like, just do not get along. They bicker. They are super different from each other. They're not good friends. But, you know, they're teens. So it is what it is. They settle into their lives And then one day Jillian shows up knocking at the door in the middle of the night and she has bad news. (laughs) (laughs) She she has done a goodbye Earl. Yes. She has done a goodbye Earl on this man that she was living with, Jimmy, who by all accounts is a bad guy. He was selling drugs and did sell tainted drugs to teens that that killed them. And he was abusive. And he was abusive. And he was just a a bad person all around. (laughs) He's a bit of a bad boy. Yeah. And worst of all, he put a cat in the refrigerator and would have left it to freeze to death in the refrigerator. But Jillian saved the cat. Yes. Which which is how you know she's a likable character. (laughs) (laughs) So Sally agrees to help her cover this up. They bury Jimmy's body in the backyard under the lilac bush. And Jillian moves in to 
Sally's like little suburban dream that she has created for herself. She becomes very close with Kylie. Here's a quote. Cross and I have set out on the dinner table mean there's bound to be a quarrel, but so do two sisters living under the same roof, particularly when one of them is Antonia Owens. And and that's earlier because that's just at first of all, Antonia and Kylie squabbling. But then, of course, um, Sally and Jillian do as well. And they sort of fall into um, teams where Kylie, well, Kylie has to share her room with Jillian. And so they become close. And then that leaves Antonia and Sally as like the other side. And but this is another thing I didn't really like that much about the book is because so much of it. I, I thought it like I love like witchy sisterhood and like a coven and you know spoilies we eventually end up there but a lot of this seems to just be like well you know how sisters are they all fucking hate each other and like <laughs> they're just like bitches to each other for like decades until like they come together through murder question mark you know as I will say as someone who has a very contentious relationship with my own sibling I did find that part relatable. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, she she's not she's not sugarcoating the sister dynamic, but like with as I was reading, like because we've just gone through kind of the the first third of the book, and now we're entering like the second third of the book. And in the first third of the book, there's so much like what I thought was set up, and I don't know if this is like an a, a, like just a difference of editing styles in the '90s, isn't it? Like I was trying to because like okay, there's so many setups. There's like okay, like the cats follow them. And okay, one is day and one is night. And like, okay, these swans. And then like, as you continue to read the book, I kept waiting for these things to pay off. Like I was thinking, okay, this is like shaving a haircut. Where's my two bits, right? Like I, just, I, kept, <laughs> I kept waiting for these things to pay off. They Spoiler alert, they never pay off. They're all like decorative flourishes to kind of fill in this like lustrous and luxurious witch world. And they're very evocative and they're meant to just kind of make you like you know pay off that setup in your mind in your spare time because like I was just like I was like there's no way some an author now could get away with putting this many like decorative flourishes and like having so many just like this kind of happens just because there's a swallow that flies around the roof just because but and I was like well this is the 90s like if you're if you're picking up a hardcover book you're going to go straight to like the cafe at like borders and get your pumpkin muffin and just be in a vibe like you're, you're vibing out to a book <laughs> whereas now if you have a book it's like it could be on a screen it could be in someone's car and you've got to constantly get someone's attention and then justify why you've taken their attention by having everything kind of pay off or at least you know I, that's that's how I do it so I was just like this is wild to me that it's like a perfume commercial of a book like it's just like <laughs> Beautiful image, beautiful image. Oh, the men were melting like ice cream cones. Love is the cause and the cure of all life's problems. I'm just like, okay, great, great, cool. What's happening? What's, what are we doing? See, yes. I, I looked at a lot of that and I hate that I'm about to make this comparison. <laughs> I'm leaning in. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I mean, it's not that exciting. It's just, <laughs> it's just sad. It's just a sad, but One of the complaints that I had about, and again, I hate that I'm making this comparison, the first two Harry Potter movies is that every single person who did magic, like, it's one thing to make the magic seem magical and new and exciting to Harry, who's never seen it before, Mm -hmm. but as 
like all the adults in the background, everyone acts like magic is this like stupendous, wonderful thing that they all appreciate every second of the day. And the thing that I like better about the later films is that the magical things sort of fade to the background. Like there's just, you know, you see Mrs. Weasley using magic to like in the background, wash her dishes. You see like people, it's just there. It's just part of the setting because that's what it it would be if you lived in a world where everybody could do this all the time. And they thought of it the same way we thought about like basic things in our world. And that's how I kind of felt about like the little sprinklings of like the sparrow who flies around the room three times if there's going to be bad news and, you know, the cats following the girls and, you know, all of these different things happening. Like it felt like, oh, like this is the this is the the background magic of living in this magical family. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just a lot. It was just a it was just a really big background. <laughs> I I mean it's fine. It's I it's okay if we don't agree. That's just why I liked it. Yeah. What it felt like to me. Well, yes. Okay, the the little things. I think you're exactly right about that. Where it is just like, you know, curlicules on like like she sets up that house. Like the aunt's house is set up to such a degree that it becomes like the only set for the whole movie. And then, like, they're in that house for, like, 20 pages. And then we, like, do you know what I mean? Like, like most of the house, most of the, the action goes down in suburbia. And, like, Pleasantville-style suburbia. And, like, that's kind of the fun of the contrast is, oh, we're witchy witches with crazy lilac growing out here in suburbia. And, like, I, like the, I think the, the, the ultimate thing that kind of, I was like, where is this, where, why is this not coming back is, like, the Maria Owens portrait where they set up that portrait so hard with like a flashback and like here's the source of like all their powers and blah 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 and then the portrait is just kind of there like I don't did the did I miss it like did the portrait come back and fall on someone at the right time I just I just kept waiting for like Chekhov's gun with that portrait where I was like I know it's I know it's coming back it's gonna say the final word it's gonna wink at the end something's gonna happen I mean, I I think it's sort of implied because then Kylie puts it up in the bedroom. She starts with Jillian. She's like, no, this this portrait's good. I feel like it was sort of implied to be a slightly like healing presence for their relationship. But and I also feel like it kind of forecast it like Kylie is like of the I would say the four younger the two sets of sisters in the younger generations. Kylie is the most magical. Like Mm -hmm. Kylie can see and interact with the magic in the world much more easily than like at one point when the Jimmy's body is infecting their yard, she's like, can't you see it? And she points it out. And um, I think it's Sally is like, oh, my God, you're right. Like she has to focus on it and look for it. But she sees it, whereas Kylie can see it the whole time. So I think kind of the implication that like Maria Owens's portrait and she looks just like Kylie is kind of also saying like Kylie has inherited this magic in a way that her mother and aunt have not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is a vibes book like it is definitely it is not a plot book it is a vibes book yeah unwrap your muffin yeah speaking of looks another thing that i i guess perhaps in 1995 this was a little bit a different thing but to read it now like so much of the book is like you know how hard it is to be beautiful, right? Like we're all so beautiful and it's so hard because like men just like go crazy for beautiful women and we're so beautiful and all like they're, well, not the ants because they're terrible old hags. Oops, I'm too worked up. The ants are terrible old hags and um, whatever. But 
you like to me like reading this as like an average looking woman I was like this is none of this is relatable and like they're so (laughs) hung up on it on like their beauty and like you know and like especially when Jillian is like oh no my nieces are beautiful and I'm I'm elderly and 36 years old and I'm not so beautiful anymore (laughs) and like and the narration is like, oh, like you, you know how it feels when you're like old and you're suddenly like very jealous of young, beautiful women. And I'm like, I think this is like a burden I was spared by just being average looking. Cause I'm like, I guess, I don't know. Like that's, that's a really huge part of it too is like, and, and I do, you know, I understand like the pressures society puts on you to like, look a certain way and like pay track about, but I was just like, okay. anyway like I'm much more interested in the magic that's like lets cats follow you around that's the one I want and like we're talking a lot about the physical beauty and not a lot about the cats actually yeah even the ants at the end where they're like an ant jet in her day had been the most beautiful of them all and it's like okay okay good thank you thank you for not letting us miss out on that I guess good to know yeah a lot of the book was like pretty girl problems and it, it I'm still I'm still unsure if Sally if Sally is supposed to be like normal girl representation or not about the face because I, I don't have a clear picture of her in my head except for Sandra Bullock who obviously is beautiful so what the hell do I do with that right no she's like less gorgeous than Jillian but she still like can, can get every man wrapped on her finger yeah I, it's a book about like being beautiful and making men fall in love with you and not very much about making cats follow you around town. And that, to <laughs> me, that's not the ratio I want. Um, so just to, to continue with the book. Um, so they, Fine. <laughs> as time goes on, the, the lilacs are starting to grow like wildly. And as we were saying, Kylie can see things that other people can't. And she sees that Jimmy's ghost, like the house just feels oppressive. And everyone's miserable and they can't figure out why. And Kylie says, you know, there's there's a ghost out there. There's a ghost of a man and he's a bad man and he's told me these things. And they're like, oh, shit. So Sally destroys the lilacs. And Jillian starts dating a teacher at the school whose name is Ben Fry and he is a science teacher and it makes her interested in science. Uh, so she starts also reading first the girls' science textbooks and then taking science books out of the library to learn more. And yeah, because that's the only way to get women in STEM. Am I right, ladies? If you start dating <laughs> as time goes on, Kylie and her friend Gideon, there's all of these kind of interpersonal relationships between all of the characters, the girls, their perspective, love interests, everything. But the point for the plot reasons is that Kylie discovers a ring that is caked in mud and she doesn't think very much of it and she kind of puts it in a little you know dish that is in the kitchen as she is is going out to meet a friend and it is in fact jimmy's ring that has come up in the yard from his corpse (laughs) and as the summer is wearing on the sally and her kids are getting ready to go to visit the ants as they do every summer in august but hey, before hey. we do this, I just want to circle back real quick. So Ky- the the friend that Kylie wants to meet, like her only friend is this boy named Gideon. And here's just a little quote about that. Kylie is the only person on earth who seems able to tolerate Gideon. 
His mother, Jeannie Barnes, went into therapy two weeks after he was born. That's how difficult he was and continues to be. Which, first of all, very harsh on a baby. Second of all, oh, people in this book do know about therapy. Just no one will get it for Sally. Also, Sally around this part or... And also after, like, she keeps having what really sounds like a panic attack. She's like, I'm having these hearts, like, heart palpitations in my chest to sight and I can't breathe. And they're like, oh, it's because you're in love. And I'm like, babe, you're having a panic attack. I mean, in in defense of the book, which I know I'm, I am alone on this island, they it's do fine. tell her she's having a panic attack at one point. At one point, but then it's not. <laughs> and I, like, whatever. It's like, it's magic. It's whatever. It's whatever. But I, I'm really, again, I'm, I'm just writing for Sally and I want someone to help her. Besides, besides the help that, of course, a, a good man will provide. Anyway. There is a, a man named Gary who shows up who works with the attorney general's office in Arizona, who has looking for Jimmy and finds a letter that Sally wrote to Jillian that, you know, shows up and gets an address off of it. And while reading the letter, feels like a deep kinship with the person who wrote it, who is, of course, Sally, and heads out to Sally's house and questions her and Jillian about Jimmy, especially because Jillian did use Jimmy's car to drive from Arizona to New York. So Jimmy's car is sitting out there on the uh, street in front of Sally's house and when he arrives and starts questioning them Sally is immediately taken by him and feels like she can't lie to him okay so th- this is where the book jumped the shark for me and I was with <laughs> you on loving this book island like I was I was like okay things are paying off but it's a vibe here's my pumpkin muffin I'm gonna make a babka great all day <laughs> we're loving life then this dude shows up with his like bridges of Madison County ass and I I lost it with I, I all of my good faith went flying out the window Everything about this dude rubbed me the wrong way. Just about the idea of falling in love with someone because you got their mail. I, it, it, it got in my teeth. Like, like just the idea of a man reading a letter again and again and being like, yes, this is the woman I love. I don't know. It, 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 it went too far. Like, I could believe the swallow. I could believe the cats. I could believe everything else, the death beetle. But I could not believe that. I, and I cannot. See, I'm an epistolary girl at heart. I love <laughs> I love the idea of folks falling in love via mail, both intended for them and not intended for them. I just read Divine Rivals, which is essentially like someone is getting, it starts with, with a, a guy getting letters that this girl is sending that she thinks through magic, that she thinks she is sending to her brother, but is instead sending to this guy who like reads them and is immediately taken with her. And then they start their like, you know, uh, shop around the corner type flirtation, sending letters back and forth. So yeah, once again, it's Wait, fine. Hang on. Wait, hang on. You liked Divine Rivals? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Um, it, okay. This is not an episode about that. For the I'm going on record. I did not like Divine Rivals. Uh, do at me about it. I know it's really popular. Um, back to this book. I, my problem is less with falling in love with the letter and more with falling in love with a cop. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> um. So so Gary is questioning them, and you know Jillian makes up a story. Oh, I I left him. I stole his car. Our relationship is over. I'm never going to talk to him again. He's not going to come around. And Gary eventually leaves. 
And Sally is so distraught over having lied to him that she also leaves not long after he does in the midst. She was in the midst of making dinner and just abandons it and leaves. So Sally or Jillian is left to like make dinner for the girls. And like, they keep asking where their mom is. And she's like, uh, errands, bye. And helps them get ready for bed and realizes that like normally in her life up to this point, this has been the moment when she has fled where she has just left when things got like scary or too hard or look dangerous. This is where she jumps ship and that she doesn't feel the urge to do that as much right now. Her urge is to like make sure her family's okay and like not, turn tail and run and growth sally meanwhile finds gary and tells him that you know jimmy is dead but like jimmy's a bad person yeah (laughs) he did he did murder some teens (laughs) Yeah. yeah and by the way and you know who wouldn't have done this is marianne and wanda from goodbye earl they kept that secret and they kept it and it's Sally is not living up to the goodbye Earl role models. See, what is her excuse? Like, he's read her letter at least. What's her excuse? Because he wept? I'm sorry. I, I didn't buy this. Connect- like, I, I'm not even someone who, like, frosts at the mouth over, like, insta-love. Like, sure. Like, like let, let's get there faster if that's what it takes. If you can do it well, do it. But this was such an egregious instance of insta-love because this guy came out of nowhere. He had read one letter not addressed to him. There was no back and forth, little shop around the corner, hijinks. It was just one letter done. She, she's the one. I'm, I'm done. He shows up there. She see, sees him. Just sees him. Sees him weep at her table, and then she's ready to just throw her sisters in prison. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 it bugged me. So uh, the ants, the ants come to visit. All Kylie has been having some issues over the. Um, as the summer has been progressing because normally she has this sort of like precognizance where she can see at least feel the outlines of things that are going to happen. And she can't see her visit to the ants this August. Like it's just not coming through. She can't see anything about them going to Massachusetts to see the ants. And then she realizes it's because the ants are on their way to come see them. Also things are rough because on Kylie's birthday, there was a big falling out among all the sisters and also among Kylie's only friend Gideon because for her birthday, Gillian dyed Kylie's hair blonde and like gave her a hot girl makeover. And that caused a real, um, real bad blood for everybody. Haters. Yes. So the answer are on their way to come visit and they help because after Sally rushes out after Gary, Kylie, as I was saying earlier, points out to Jillian, there are these like thorns that are growing out of where the lilac bush used to be. They've grown like three feet today alone. You know, this is, it is bad. It is bad juju here in the backyard. Like she points out that you can see like this kind of dark, these dark spots covering everything. It's enveloping the backyard. It's going to envelop the house. And uh, also Jimmy's feet are starting to stick up from the ground. (laughs) (laughs) um but the ants do come to the rescue they come to visit they help get rid of jimmy's body you know deus ex machina deus ex ants and they also tell jillian that like she she shouldn't feel responsible for his death because the amount of nightshade that she gave him shouldn't have been enough to kill him 
Um, which is, it does kind of walk the line between like, is this true or is this, <laughs> is this what they need to say in order for her guilt to stop bringing him back to life? Although, I mean, also he is a man who killed teenagers through giving them bad drugs. So he easily could have given himself bad drugs. Also. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's, there's a lot that could have happened, but yeah. And it ends, it ends kind of happily ever after Gary is like, you're right. Jimmy just ran off because he's a bad guy. Look, I found a body. It's probably Jimmy's. Okay, bye. Except not bye because then he comes back to be with Sally. Yeah. Yeah, he he shows up at the family Thanksgiving and Sally's like, thank goodness, like now I have a man. And then everyone has a man and then they're happy. <laughs> but yeah, I know I know that you two felt strongly about not liking this. I I did. I just I loved the prose. I loved the vibes. I was very like I've been listening to it while I was cleaning my house and like curled up in bed at night with my crossword puzzles. And it's been I've I've I enjoyed it. I'll probably read more of her books. I, I know my it. mom like, has a lot. <laughs> I, look, I had a lot to say about that sad eyed cop who wept at the kitchen table, but I did enjoy the vibes. And I thought, like, I, I expected things to pay off in a way that they didn't, which is fine. My brain has been ruined by screenwriting. But mm-hmm. what what I did appreciate was the ants at the beginning are kind of like a hydra. Like, it's just the ants. And uh, you can picture 12 of them if you want to. You can picture, like, a crowd of people, like, whatever. It, it, it's really just left as, like, the Charlie Brown adult boys. It's like, these are the ants. And then at the end, they kind of become fully realized and you get their names and their backstories and how much they like love their nieces. And I was like, oh, this is like this is like the childhood adult arc where your parents become like humans and you start seeing other adults as like just flawed people who are trying their best. And so like. That was a very like a meaningful sense of closure where I was like, okay, that was like the setup payoff behind all of the like um, curly flourishes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I have just been like so trained to look for setup and payoffs that I kept like it, it gave me a little bit of just like Chekhov's gun where I was like, where's the swallow? Where's the portrait? Where's the? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I also think strong dislike is like an overstatement. I to me at Practical Magica, I'm like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Like <laughs> it was it was perfectly fine to read. Like I did enjoy the vibes. I enjoyed it as I was going along. I think I just really was like ah fuck yeah. Like I was expecting to love it, and then I was like oh it was fine. And I think maybe you came in expecting maybe to dislike it. And then you were like, oh, I like it. Like, and I feel like the expectations have played into it. That's also probably true. I, like I said, my mom and I don't always have the same book taste. And so I I wasn't sure what to expect, but yeah. She did recently read The Hate You Give on recommendation from a friend and was oh. like, when I was at home last, she was like, oh, my God, have you read this? It's incredible. And I'm like, yeah, I read it when it came out, like, several years ago. <laughs> oh, that's it's, good. It's a very popular book. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good she liked it. Yes. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't afraid that she wouldn't like it for, like, 
weird racist reasons, but you know, she doesn't read a lot of YA and yeah, yeah. um also like to, to, to all does. the books to take the hate you give and be like, have you heard of this? I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Duarte has showed up again, and I think what he is saying is it's time for dramatic readings. And I'm going to start and I am going to give, oh my goodness, I'm going to give you this cat content that you crave it and Duarte craves it. Um, oh, Duarte's reading it. He's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you translate for us? Yeah. One be- I was just waiting till he stopped, but who knows? One beautiful April day when Sally was in sixth grade. All of the aunt's cats followed her to school. After that, even the teachers would not pass her in an empty hallway and would find an excuse to head in the other direction. As they scurried away, the teachers smiled at her oddly, and perhaps they were afraid not to. Black cats can do that to some people. They make them go all shivery and scared and remind them of dark, wicked nights. The aunt's cats, however, were not particularly frightening. They were spoiled and liked to sleep on the couches, and they were all named for birds. There was cardinal and crow and raven and goose. There was a gawky kitten named Dove and an ill-tempered Tom called Magpie, who hissed at the others and kept them at bay. It would be difficult to believe that such a mangy bunch of creatures had come up with a plan to shame Sally, but that is what seemed to have happened. Although they may have followed her on that day simply because she'd fixed a tuna fish sandwich for lunch, just for herself, as... Jillian was pretending to have strep throat and was home in bed, where she was sure to stay for the best part of a week, reading magazines and eating candy bars with no cares when it came to getting chocolate on the sheets, since Sally was the one who took responsibility for the laundry. On this morning, Sally didn't even know the cats were behind her until she sat down at her desk. Some of her classmates were laughing, but three girls had jumped up under the radiator and were shrieking. Anyone would have thought a gang of demons had entered the room, but it was only those flea-bitten creatures that had followed Sally to school. They paraded past chairs and desks, black as night and howling like banshees. Sally shooed them away, but the cats just came closer. They paced back and forth in front of her, their tails in the air, meowing with voices so horrible the sound could have curdled milk in a cup. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit in the middle and then just read this part. That was very funny to me. Several children had fainted. Some would be phobic about cats for the rest of their lives. The gym teacher was sent for and he waved a broom around, but still the cats would not leave. I just, okay. These kids who fainted because a cat was there, like I'm built different. I I mean, I also like as a person who is allergic to cats and has very bad reactions to cats when in a small space with them when I haven't taken my allergy pills, even I would not react like that. I would just say no, which is what I say to any cat who comes near me. <laughs> no. Duarte, no, that's my bag. Stop. Stop rubbing your face on it. Stop climbing into my backpack. Anyway. Um, I thought that was great. I would love to have cats follow me around, as we know. And I also, I didn't read the whole thing. I think this is, again, I didn't hate this book. Like, there is a really sort of lovely and heartbreaking character moment where Sally realizes, like, 
that even though she loves the cats and she loves animals, she's like so embarrassed by the cats being there that like, you know, that she like spoke sternly to the cats to make them go. And then she feels so guilty about that, that she like craved human popularity over kindness to animals that she like went on mentally punishing herself for years about that. Again, undiagnosed anxiety queen, relatable. <laughs> Why cats to follow me? <laughs> Um, I'm going to read just a little bit of there. There were parts within the book where they would just have these like bits of prose that were just like witchy folk remedies and stuff, both at the beginning of each section and then in some other places throughout. So this is just a couple paragraphs of that. Always keep mint on your windowsill in August to ensure that buzzing flies will stay outside where they belong. Don't think the summer is over, even when the roses droop and turn brown and the stars shift position in the sky. Never presume August is a safe or reliable time of the year. It is the season of reversals, when the birds no longer sing in the morning and the evenings are made up of equal parts golden light and black clouds. The rock solid and the tenuous can easily exchange places until everything you know can be questioned and put into doubt. On especially hot days when you'd like to murder whoever crosses you, or at least give him a good slap, drink lemonade instead. Go out and buy a first-rate ceiling fan. Make certain never to step on one of the crickets that may have taken refuge in the dark corner of your living room, or your luck will change for the worse. Avoid men who call you baby and women who have no friends, and dogs that scratch at their bellies and refuse to lie down at your feet. Wear dark glasses. Bathe with lavender oil and cool, fresh water. Seek shelter from the sun at noon. I just liked it. I like the vibes. Yeah, no, I, I like that part. I, 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 the vibes are good for sure. Undeniable vibes. All right, and I think Lily has our final dramatic reading. <clears throat> Gary has been close to people and has a whole town full of friends, but he'd never once felt he'd known anyone the way he felt he knew the woman who wrote this letter. It was as if someone had ripped off the top of his head and hooked a piece of his soul. He was so involved with the words she'd written that anyone passing by could have pushed him off his chair with one finger. A turkey vulture could have landed on the back rung of the chair he was sitting in, screamed right in his ear, and Gary wouldn't have heard a sound. Evocative. Yeah. Quite evocative. Mm -hmm. This is like the letter there where she's just telling Jillian like what a ho she is, right? Or she's like... <laughs> I've had enough of you. <laughs> you got to stop playing. All right. Should we move on to Reader's Advisory? Let's do that. Uh, Reader's Advisory, of course, where we suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. I mean, you can read this if you like vibes. Maybe you already have read it. It's pretty old and very popular. Um, just a couple that I recommend it that are more about... Um, relationships between sisters and supernatural things happening and relationships between sisters that are not always that are sometimes contentious contentious we'll say um head full of ghosts by paul tremblay is it's one of my favorite of his books it has very like exorcist vibes you know one of one of the these two sisters is experiencing things that maybe possession, maybe mental illness, it's hard to tell. And a reality show has contacted her family to allow them to be a part of this reality show to to chronicle her 
possession slash illness slash whatever it is. Um, it's it's a really he's a great writer. He's a great horror writer. And like I said, this is like my favorite of his. Definite recommend. And another person who I've definitely recommended many times before is Kate Ellis Marshall. And her book, The Rules of Vanishing, is about sisters who it's about one girl who is following a local tradition like spooky story if you go to the woods at midnight and do this you'll find a portal to the Feywild or whatever kind of local legend and takes part in it with uh her friends in an effort to find a sister who was lost years before doing the same thing and i love this series there's two books in this series so far i'm hoping there'll be more uh, but Rules for Vanishing is the first one and strong recommend if you like deeply creepy things and mixed media novels. Um, a book I read recently that I liked okay but didn't love, but A, it's been very popular and B, I feel like it has similar vibes to this. I think truly if you really like Practical Magic, you probably also would really like Wayward by Amelia Hart, which is... Um, it's less about sisters, more about daughters, but like a, you know, generational witchy family uh, using magic to escape domestic violence, vibesy, fine book. Some some witchy books that I liked more in ways that make them different from Practical Magic are Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, which I know I've recommended many times before, and I'll do it again. And it's... <laughs> It's like a, you know, grown up Harry Potter, but it's by a trans author and it's trans inclusive and it's really fun. And then Venco by Sherry DeMoline, which is a cool um, magical coven assembling type of book. And then Siren Queen by Nevo, which is a little more vibesy um, historical fiction in a kind of magical reality where like old Hollywood of like the thirties and forties was um, more, more magical and kind of a spooky way. And like, if you become a really big star, you like literally go and be a star in the sky. And it, the main character is this um, Asian American starlet who always has to play these like monstrous roles. And then she like makes that work for her. Um, it's really it's a really cool magical book with vibes that are somehow similar to practical magic while also being totally different from practical magic how about you lily what would you recommend well i'm immediately gonna search out uh the mermaids novel by patty dan because i feel like that's what i conflated in my mind with the practical magic movie is share in mermaids with a known writer and that's based <laughs> on a novel which seems to have the same um thesis statement is this where it's like ladies in the house best thing worst thing um <laughs> i wanted to also suggest the ya novel the nature of witches by rachel griffin uh it's kind of like a, a witch which is drawing their powers from nature in a time of climate change so it's like an interesting Ooh. contemporary oh, yeah, contemporary cool. twist to the, the fan favorite genre um a discovery of witches i think is pretty well known but i recommended it to a power reader friend who like inhaled the whole series in a week and still brings it up every time I see her <laughs> and just loved it so much. So I feel like it has a similar vibe of like, but more so like it has a similar vibe of practical magic of like ants in a house. We're going to have some cats in our lap and have a cup of tea and then something fun's going to happen. Like 
great. Love that vibe. And then like the, the book that I lean on the most when I'm trying to write in a witch adjacent area is religion and the decline of magic, which is nonfiction, but it's fascinating. And it's about like 16th and 17th century um, witchcraft and what it meant and how it was used politically and how it intersected with like, you know, a lot of the people who were identified as witches or even identified as witches themselves were working in kind of like a religious area because of like how reliquaries worked and how like Catholicism at the time had a, almost like a tangible, anyway, I'm going on. It's a great book. Check it out. All right. That sounds cool. Um, also, t- Kate, did we read Discovery of Witches for the podcast? I believe so. I feel like we did. I'm pretty sure we did. Just a, just a note for listeners, if you maybe don't know if you want to read it or not, I'm pretty sure we did an episode about it. <laughs> I think you guys did. I think that's why I read I it, think... and I think that's why I recommended it to my friend. So. All right. Oh, fuck yeah. We're, we're influencers by proxy. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I'm, I'm having my own, like, breakfast at Tiffany's moment where, like, if I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember at all. All I know is that my dad, that is his current TV obsession. Oh. Because we talked about how the show is different and the book was a lot about the horny bundling. Yeah, we did. This. <laughs> um, yeah, when I went home most recently, my dad was like, oh, have you heard about this show? I was like, no, but I think I read the book for the podcast. <laughs> we've read too many books and it's really you just ha- you have to delete some stuff to like keep your storage available up there. yes <laughs> uh okay let's let's uh well we'll we'll have all of these and maybe some other suggestions up on our website worstbestsellers.com and uh also again shout out to uh lily's books they're not like this but they're <laughs> They're spooky, fun books. Uh, I don't know, not spooky, scary. Perfect for the fall. Yeah. They're thrillers. Thriller, fall thriller. Thrills and chills. Thrills and chills. I don't yeah. know what genres are. Read them. Yes. Yes. Um, and then Kate, read the upcoming one. Tell me if it's too scary. Will do. Uh, and then, uh, but for now, we'll move on. And uh, just play a quick round of Would You Rather. Because... Um, this is this is a fun game for me. Would you rather have all your cats follow you to school or have a trained bunny, which we didn't really get into, but Jillian's boyfriend, his her her final boyfriend, is a magician and he has a bunny that he uses for magic tricks. Yes. And me being me, I absolutely would rather have a trained bunny. I loved the scenes with the bunny especially there's a scene where Jillian <laughs> wakes up after spending the night for the first time and the bunny has hopped on the bed to like hang out with her and then like she wakes up and she goes to get a glass of water and the bunny just follows her and just like she feeds it and they chill together and I love I love that for her and I love the idea of just a bunny following you around um, I, of course, want all my cats to follow me everywhere. And by all my cats, I mean just where I only have one. But uh, I I, will, I think about this all the time. I would love to like live in a Pokemon world where I could just have my little animal buddy with me all the time. And I know that's impractical for allergy reasons and cat safety reasons and just a whole lot of reasons why it's impractical. But the heart wants what it wants. What about you, Lily? I would have to go for the trained bunny. Um, I do think the one in the book was implied horny for Jillian, but so was everyone. <laughs> so no, no harm, no foul. 
<sighs> All right. And then um, we also didn't really talk about this, but in the final era of her life, when Jillian's living with Sally, she like gets a job and she works at this restaurant called the Hamburger Shack. And uh, would you rather eat at the Hamburger Shack or at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that only serves steaks and cakes? Well, you know, Hamburger Shack sounded fine and all, but I'm not really a fast food person. I'm really a sit down at a restaurant that appears to be the dining room of someone's house and be served an entire steak and an entire cake kind of person. (laughs) So I'm going to go with Steaks and Cakes. Yeah. Plus, if you eat at Hamburger Shack, it seems like there's a 99% chance that you fall in love with Jillian. And that seems like I don't really have time for that right now. Uh, it seems really inconvenient to be in love with Jillian. So, um, uh, and, and also, I love our beloved sponsor and I love cakes. So I will see you there, Kate. Excellent. How about you, Lily? Yeah, the Hamburger Shack is wall-to-wall horny teens who are just there to watch Jillian. That is established canonically in the book. I don't need it. <laughs> don't want it. Don't get them around my burger. I would go straight to Steaks and Cakes. Get my usual uh, carrot cake, rare steak, and eat them both at once. Yeah. God. And you could share the carrot cake with your trained bunny. <laughs> my horny trained bunny. It's such a great time. <laughs> Oh my god, perfect. Okay, I'll see you guys there. <laughs> and uh, while we're there sitting at a, at a table over our cake, we can play a, a round of the Rock Paper Snicked, our favorite game where uh, Kate says who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if here in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if here in this book, and Lily can choose which most enhances the book or paper, which is to leave the book as is. So if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, uh, he would... <laughs> be living in the Massachusetts town where the aunts and uh, Sally and her first husband, Michael grew up and he would be out on the street the night of the drinking and driving incident that ends with Michael being struck by a car and would in fact intervene before the drunk teens could strike Michael with their car, thus saving him And uh, kind of changing the book, having everyone kind of stick up in Massachusetts, having, you know, everything sort of stay surrounding the really cool witchy house that the ants live in. And, uh, you know, maybe with the rock in town, he would address some of the bullying in school and make life easier for Antonia and Kylie uh, while in in their their little seaside town. Um. I think if Wolverine were in this book, he would be um, like passing through the bar where Jillian was working out West and where, um, you know, Jimmy would hang out and be a dick and sell tainted drugs to teens or whatever. And, you know, I think maybe a bar fight would break out, whatever. It wouldn't take very much provocation at all for Wolverine to just like straight up kill Jimmy and stab him with his claws and then leave town. (laughs) Consequence free, obviously. And, uh, Jillian, I think, bef- like, that might be kind of a wake-up call to her where she was like, oh, you know what, um, maybe I will actually respond to these sisters, these letters my sister keeps sending me, and maybe I'll go out east for a visit, catch up with my nieces, and then I, I think, you know, the last part of the book could carry on basically the same, except for without the ghosts and whatnot, but... You know, Jimmy would still die and, and Jillian wouldn't have a tormented conscience over that one. These are both incredible options. I prefer both of these options uh, over 
over the canonical text, I'm going to go with Wolverine because it excises the need for the weepy cop to show up. So (laughs) that solves all my problems. (laughs) All right. Well, good game, everyone. And now, although Duarte has been super chatty, which is his right, because this is a very (laughs) cat-heavy book, um, it's officially time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions. Okay, I'm sorry I cut you off earlier. It just like you you have been talking a lot. It wasn't really really your turn yet. Um, I do think it is weird that at the end of the book they don't have any cats in their home, and I think it does end sort of abruptly with the implication that as after Sally has you know had Gary arrive at Thanksgiving, that then it'll be a happy ever after for everyone. And I think we have to assume that that will include acquiring more cats, like just shortly after the final page. Yeah, I understand that you think that more cats in the second half of the book would really have livened things up for you. And, you know, while I do agree, like the vibes in that house were pretty rancid towards the end there. So better to (laughs) spare them that and have them show up once uh, things chill out a little bit and there's no more dead guy haunting the house. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, Dorothy, thanks. Thanks as ever for your your many opinions. And now do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, I, I did still, I generally liked this. So yeah. My closing thought is join us for a movie watch along on Monday, October 30th at 8.30 PM Eastern time in the worst bestsellers discord. And if you don't know where that is, we're, we're about to tell you, but I just really wanted to remind you to come to it, please. Oh, this is, there was a comment about the Snickers and the toads. Oh my God. Yes. That was cracking me up. Um, in the document, I think, Ron, I think it was, uh, you said like something about the Clinton years, about yeah. the frogs and the Snickers that was killing me. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the as the vibes become more rancid around the house, like toads come out and I, of town. And uh, the quote I had pulled from the book was, the toads are crazy about Snickers, which teenagers sometimes throw to them at lunch hour. <laughs> and I just said, wow, the Clinton years, because I really can't imagine <laughs> teens having like spare Snickers bars to throw at toads. Like eat your own Snickers. That's a delicious candy bar. <laughs> it can't be. How big are these toads? They must be the size of berets. They but... were big. And getting bigger. <laughs> we did know that from the book. I and toads you don't know, have teeth. Mm. yeah well another evocative image yeah perfect <laughs> another for evocative halloween of a toad just chowing down <laughs> on a snickers bar <laughs> swallowing a snickers bar hole <sighs> <sighs> yeah that that's my closing your thought is my closing thought sorry thank you and then it, you know like when like, like when there's a snake and it's eating a mouse and you see like mouse yeah. outline and snake and this is a toad that is just like rectangle toad <laughs> he jumps over to eat the snickers he cannot jump away he just kind (laughs) of pulls himself away oh Oh, good good for them (laughs) Um, well if you would like to come talk to us on the internet we're on Facebook and Instagram, and I'll say it, Blue Sky at Worst Bestsellers, spelled normally. Although on Blue Sky, it's like worstbestsellers.bsky.social or whatever the fuck. We're, we're on it. 
Um, we're also still somehow on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S because the S was also eaten by a toad. And <laughs> that's not, it's not going to go down smooth for the toad. We are available wherever pod, you can get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcast, Amazon, all of them. Uh, please, if you find us at any of those places, take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, we will make our weird ants do a kind of spell on you, and you won't like the the results of that. We also have a Patreon available at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our equipment up to date and keep our website running. And in return, there are things like stickers and postcards in the mail for you and a bonus episode every month where we just talk about things that we're into. We also have merch available at uh, linked from worstbestsellers.com where you can click on merch and see all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, uh, we do have a Discord, as Renata alluded to earlier, that is best found by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Discord link. And you can join us there on Monday, October 30th, to discuss Practical Magic and a watch-along. Or you can join us there any other time to talk about whatever you would like, be it episodes or books or what you're reading or what you're writing or what you're watching on TV or observations in the world that you would like to share with us and finally you can find me personally online at renata snacks you can find me personally on instagram and blue sky at 14 across and lily where can people find you oh i have a site sparkslily.com and please add the merciless king of more high to your goodreads if you goodread yes go ahead i'll say it pre-order merciless king of more high it's too <laughs> late it's too late for us to promote pre-ordering the final teen killers club book but you can post order it you can just buy it yeah or it, get it from your library it throbs and bleeds according to kirkus and yeah please do request at your library and uh yeah all my books should be at your library if they're not make some noise yeah, fill out, fill out that request form. I can tell you, librarians read those and usually buy them unless you've requested some kind of weirdo self-published nonsense, which, again, this is not that. So, hooray. Speaking of books, speaking of books, as we always are. We'll, we'll be- <laughs> on our book podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks. With the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us, Lily. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I just want to emphasize that I was a listener long before I was an author. I think I found you guys sometimes around, around like 2012. I continue to be an oh enthusiastic goodness. fan. It's like taking a college course that is so entertaining on what makes books good. I love this podcast so much. Thank you for the work you do. Oh, that's thank nice. You. Thank you, and and congrats on your your continued book success. Yeah. Well, I got a lot of help listening to people who know about books. Like <laughs> <laughs> wow, I I do not deserve that credit, but I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just be the Barbie. I worked hard, and I deserve this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, thank you and bye. Bye. bye.
if the microphone is picking up, but Duarte is just like headbutting the computer. <laughs> I'm not stopping him because it's really cute. 